So, Bob, today I want to talk with you about love. Now, we already recorded the entire episode. And whenever I do an episode with you, I always think, well, you know, we'll make this available to everyone because Mm -hmm. everyone needs to hear Bob say his things. And then we get into it and it always gets super personal. And then I start thinking... I don't want all that stuff to be out there. Understood. And so I make it a patron-only episode. So we did it again. But in this episode, we're going to talk about love because Patron Show wrote in and asked a lot of questions about love. And there were some other emails from patrons about love. And I thought we would get into it. What do you say, Bob? We got into it. <laughs> yeah, we already got into it. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkana. I'm a therapist and a professor. And I am your friend, Bob, from graduate school a thousand years ago and here to talk about love yeah so in this episode we're going to talk about the definition of love we're going to talk about what it feels like to be loved how we like to love other people you and i Mm -hmm. the love between you and me Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about our significant others and the love and what that feels like how do you know you're being loved how do you know you're loving someone else do you love your clients we're going to talk about the five love languages We're going to talk about infatuation love, all that kind of stuff. If you want to hear this full episode, you have to be a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. And also know that if when you become a patron, a portion of your your pledge goes towards various charities that we support. We give out scholarships. We give out art grants. We give out money to environmentalists, uh, charities, to PetFinder, to... um, uh, social justice for LGBTQ people, for social justice for Asian Americans, actually, um, and other kinds of uh, charities. So become a patron. Do I, it. I switched to annual. Oh, you did? Yeah. And also switch to annual if you are already a patron, because it really helps us out. So patron show emailed in and show is one of the smartest most talented therapists that i have ever trained at at the university right on and so she has some questions here lately i've been chewing and poking at my deep-seated core belief that i am unlovable Mm. i like that lately i've been chewing and poking (laughs) at my deep-seated core belief that i am unlovable i'm realizing that i have never really thought much about what love means so to be unlovable, what does, what does, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people can, if you feel unlovable and you've felt unloved, you can know what that feels like. But how do you know the flip side of that coin? How do you know what it feels like to be loved? If someone says on the first date that they fell in love with me, I would reject that out of hand because they don't know me yet. And yet when I think about a parent holding a new baby, I believe that love can be utterly real. So... Show has a lot of questions here. Let's yeah. let's get into it. First question: What is love, Bob? What is love to you? Well, um, or what is love to humans? To humans, yeah. Love is positive regard, enjoyment. Some some love is erotic. Some love is sort of like the agape kind. Um, I'd say though, love is um, compassion towards and a belief in the goodness of the other. Compassion, say that again. Compassion towards and a belief in the goodness of the other. How do you know you're loved by Colleen? She says it. Yeah. Um, 
I know it intellectually. I have some, you know, everybody knows I got some similarities with what Joe is saying here. Um, how do I know I'm loved? What's a I, moment where you think, oh, I think she actually loves me? Day we got married. Okay. Um, like day-to-day stuff, you know? Week, week to week. Week to week. Okay. Um, recently, I was invited to go to Italy and um, to do a writing retreat. Oh. And I, it's a lot of money. And I'm not sure I'm what kind of writer I really am. So I had a lot of doubts about that. And Colleen said, Bob, just go. It's okay. Just go. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I'm not a writer? And she's like, that's okay. And I asked, I'm like, well, is it okay if I'm not a writer? And she said, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Let's just go anyways. So we're going. So was it the gesture or the tone of her voice or the yeah the feelings behind the sentences i'd the, say the the care the the knowing of you what was it yeah it's the knowing of me the recognition of my vulnerability and the support supporting me in making a choice for my own well-being and welfare and taking a risk yeah um and the tone and um the feeling I get inside um, that it's really okay with her. The feeling you get inside. Yeah. Because of the way she's communicating to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get into more of that later, but that's that's really beautiful. What's it to you? What's it to you, Kirk? Uh, well, uh, we'll get into that. Uh, but let, let's get into the definition first, okay. which I have here from the internet. Uh, they're very, there's a... You know, we use the word love in a lot of different contexts, and yeah. you kind of touched on a number of them. The first one is the intense feeling of deep affection. So this is what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love my parents. So you have an intense feeling of, of deep affection for mm-hmm. another person. Yeah. Uh, or anything, I suppose. And then another definition, a feeling of deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone, a feeling of deep romantic or sexual attraction. So this is more specific to a, you know, significant other kind of relationship. Right. And similar words to this are infatuation, enamored, love struck. So I think this definition is like in the beginning of a relationship. (laughs) Another definition, affectionate greetings conveyed to someone on one's behalf. So give her my love. So another, a formula for ending a an affectionate letter. So mm-hmm. take care, lots of love. Yeah. A great interest and pleasure in something. I love football. Right. A person or thing that one loves. She was the love of his life. Mm-hmm. In tennis, squash, or other sports... Zero, which has always confused me as to why they just don't say zero instead of love. I don't think anybody knows. Really? I looked it up. Nobody knows why it's done that way or why they score 15, 30, 40, 50. They don't, it's, at least someone's going to correct us, I hope, but uh, that's what I read. Yeah, it's a ridiculous system. Yeah. It's 15, 30, then 40. Yeah. Then you win. Then you win. Why not just one, two, three? Yeah. And zero. Like, it's almost like tennis, 
they're having some kind of issue with mathematics. Anyway, as a verb, so those are all nouns that right. I said. You can as a verb, you can feel deep affection. So, you know, I loved this person. Mm-hmm. It's a verb. Uh, like or enjoy very much. Like I just love dancing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we use the word love in a lot of different cir- circumstances. You mentioned agape, so we have. Mm-hmm. The ancient Greeks had a number of different words for different kinds of love. So you have eros, which is romantic and passionate love. You have philia, like Philadelphia, which is affectionate love, like friendship. You have agape. Do you know what that specifically is? I don't know if I could say the definition of agape. What What's a context that you would use agape in? My clients. Right. So, well... Yeah, see, client love. Well, which one? I guess agape could be that, right? I guess when I yeah, it's the closest thing. So this is a love for strangers, nature, or God. Well, so I guess to me, my clients, it would be more like a combination of filia, friendship, mm-hmm. and agape. Yeah, because it's personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or storge, storge, I, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's family spell? love. How do you spell it? Uh, storge. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Mania, which is obsessive love. It's interesting how they differentiate between eros and mania, mm-hmm. which is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Mania being more like, I need that person, and maybe they don't even know me, you know? Mm-hmm. Ludus, ludus, which is playful love, which is like a crush or puppy love, like being in love with BTS or something. BTS. Uh, They're a Korean boy band. Um, Pragma, which is enduring love. This is long-term marriage kinds of love. How interesting. That they would have that differentiated. Yeah. That they would have known to describe it back then. And that word, pragma. I know. I wonder if it has to do with pragmatic. Pragmatic. Yeah. Yeah. Philatia or philatia is self-love, which I, th- yeah, I don't know where the, the kind of, der- I'm sure some words, <laughs> this fellatio come from, I don't know, probably not. It <laughs> 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 doesn't make any sense. All right. So, <clears throat> so yeah, there's different kinds of love on one hand, uh, and your love for someone might change over time. Right. Um, so that's, that's that. So show ask, is it something a person being loved experiences? So is love, you know, what is love? What is the experience of love? What is it like to be loved? Is it something that someone does to you or is it something that you feel or both? What do you think, Bob? Um, Both. I think we can experience other people's love for us. We see it in their bodies, in their faces, in their tones of voice, in their actions towards us. We can experience their love and care. Yeah, I think that that's true. Yeah. Right. So for me, I experience uh, Stacy's love by the way she looks at me sometimes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I can just tell there's a body language that she has, and it it's sort of a leaning in body language and eye contact and... Mm physical affection, you know, also when and this happened last night, when she will come to me and, and, and hint 
because she's not a real direct communicator. Mm -hmm. She'll hint about wanting date night, wanting to like hang out. And our date nights are kind of epic. You know, we, (laughs) we, we don't just go to a restaurant and go home. Like it's, it's usually like a whole several hours of, of meanderings around the city and, and doing various different things. But, um, but yeah, those kind of kinds of moments are moments where I, I feel like, oh, she loves me. You know, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like you just feel like, oh, she, she likes me. Mm-hmm. She wants to be with me. She, mm-hmm. ha- I, and because I felt that for her, I know what that feels like. You, you have these moments where you just feel this mm-hmm. upwelling of, of affection and wanting contact, mm-hmm. wanting to meld on a certain level, wanting to hang out, wanting to share things, mm-hmm. you know, that, and you can, if you see it in someone else, you know that because you felt that, you know, it's another question from show when you love someone that when you love someone, what does that mean to you when you love someone? So like a show is asking like, I don't understand, you know, I, I don't have a lot. I think what show is saying, there's not a lot of love in her life and she doesn't, she's looking for evidence. I think, you know, is there love and how do I find it? How do I trust it? And, um, so when someone, when you love someone, what does that mean to you? Like, how, how does that feel? What are the thoughts? What are the emotions? Mm. Well, I'm sure there's lots to say about that. The first thing that leaps to my mind is that when the other exists inside me outside of their actual physical presence. So, like, I hardly have a thought anymore that doesn't include caring about Colleen, you know. Um, um, There's almost like there's no me without her. Um, Or, yeah, yeah, that's a way to say it. Um, Where I regard her in pretty much every choice I make. Um, um, She's always, always there. And I think if if we were to lose each other, you know, somehow or other, like maybe to death or something, she'll still exist inside me. Like if I if Colleen dies, she'll still exist inside me and always will. Mm. She's a part of me now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. What love means to me when I'm loving someone is that because I, you know, I'm trying to think of not only just Stacy but also. You and my family, Birdo, um, you know, parents, siblings, and huh, the dogs, the dogs, right? And uh, I think, or even the listeners, Mm -hmm. I suppose, yeah, the agape love or the philia love for the listeners Mm -hmm. is showing up. I I think that's a big Japanese thing uh, to to be there. My um, my family, my parents and my siblings, I think you know this, they always show up. Like if I have a concert or a live podcast or a birthday party, everyone in my family shows up. I know. There's, really cool. there's really no question. Yeah. And, I've, and I didn't know that that was an option. I thought that's what family members did, you know. Wow. But like a lot of families, someone have a birthday party and 
the other you know people won't show up yeah in my family it's like it's and i've noticed like you know because there'll be people around me that will be like do you have to go to everything in your family and i'll be like it's not even a question mark it's just yeah i guess it's just a unwritten rule so anyway with people i consider my act of love to show up and to not question that and because yeah you know someone invites you to a thing and it's normal to have a little bit of a a thought of like oh i've got to get all the crap together and i've got to socialize and i have other things i probably need to be doing like chores you know there's a there's a cost to hanging out a certain annoyance the travel or whatever and when i with some circumstances like with work or something i'll allow those negativity elements uh be entertained but when it's people that i love i uh, those will creep into my head but i immediately just know like this this is the meaning of my life Mm -hmm. is are these people i recognize that it'll be a bit of a pain in the butt but what else why else am i on this planet (laughs) if not to hang out with my family on mother's day or you know what i mean like why are you getting a sour grapes about uh, what else if if are you put on this planet to, to sit at home and do chores, you know, and, and to like have everything be um, comfortable, you know, so to speak. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, another is that I find myself reaching out to people mm-hmm. when I like got my vaccine. I remember there were certain people that I, I, I remember sitting cause they make you sit there for a while after you get it right to make sure you don't have a reaction. And I, and I remember noting, like, who who am I actually wanting to contact? I think that's another part of it, right? Right. Another is taking the good with the bad. That's a big one. Yeah. Like, again, <laughs> just comparing my... Because I don't love my uh, coworkers all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not super dedicated. You know, God bless them. They're nice people. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I have too many. I already have enough people in, in my inner circle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when I have coworkers that are annoying me, I, I just, it just, I, I, I avoid them, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I don't, I just give up on the relationship on a certain level. But, but with people that I love, I don't do that. Yeah. If something bothers me, I will say, well, that's what happens when you're close to someone is that you take the good with the bad. You know, I, I remember this in a, really poignant way when I uh, with Birdo years ago we went through some difficult times conflict wise this would have been this would have been actually like 14 12 years ago ish and we stopped actually hanging out even though we were doing the podcast still together which is interesting so maybe it was more like 11 years ago it wasn't that long but it was it was a while because we had this big fight and then verbal fight and then uh, and then maybe, I don't know, six to 12 months, we just didn't hang out socially very much anyway. And I remember uh, during that time in the beginning, I was just like, screw him. I don't like him. We're done. That's it. We're over. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to see him. I don't want to hang out with him. And then 
after a while, when we, I think we started hanging out a little bit again, I just thought, well, he's such a great friend. He's such a good guy. And I, I love him. And, but he has these other things about him that really annoy me and hurt me. So, but finding a good friend is hard to do. You know, it's not easy. (laughs) You've known each other a while. Uh, yeah. And so I just, I remember just consciously saying to myself, I'm going to take the good with the bad. I'm going to take the fact that he is a jerk face sometimes. And there, and that's, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, maybe there's a little bit I can do, but not much because of all the good things. And so I, you know, that's another part of love to me is, Mm -hmm. you know, every, everyone I love annoys me. On some level. I don't. <laughs> what? I don't. You don't annoy me? No. Yeah. You never not. annoy me. No, not even a little. <laughs> uh, so if I ran from everyone that annoyed me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's another part of love is, is you know, like with state it's probably more significant with Stacy since, you know, we spent so much time together is the when there's something about her that annoys me. And it can be, you know, quite intense when you're, especially during pandemic times and you're mm-hmm. locked in a, you know, house by yourselves with no one, no interacting with the outside world. You, for me, love is, well, you know, that's who, how she is. And I don't know why she's like that, but I take the good with the bad. I, I wish she wasn't like that, but take the good with the bad, you know, mm-hmm. and forgive. That's another part of it, I think, is forgiving without an apology Mm. forgiving someone without them apologizing Mm -hmm. is another part of love of just letting it go just like well um i'm i don't know if they're sorry i don't know if they even understand what they're doing that hurts me but but i forgive them because i i love them you know and and that's i think a part of love Mm -hmm. another the last thing i'll say is cultivation of a relationship. I think that that's another part of love is um, dedicating myself almost like a life goal and having to put conscious effort in. When we're younger Mm. and you're 22, you're hanging out with your friends every day. You don't really have to cultivate a friendship. Now you get older, you have to put effort in because if you just go by, if you just coast through life, You'll have no friends. You have to put effort. You have to cultivate. You have to reach out. You have to make an effort to uh, be more vulnerable or to, uh, you know, like, well, you tell me, Bob, Mm -hmm. when you reach out to me for like consultations and stuff, is Mm -hmm. that part of your, is that a cultivation effort on your part? Are you, because you could consult with a lot of people. Oh. Are, Are you just thinking like. Maybe if I consult with Kirk, like it'll help kind of deepen our relationship somehow. Oh, I think I have had that thought occasionally, though. Usually I seek you out because I trust your advice. So um, I think it might it might have that benefit, but I can't say that it's chief on my mind. I, I respect you. I respect your judgment and your opinion. Um, and so I trust that when you tell me something, it's probably good advice and and i want the good advice so this pod- I'm, I'm just i'm just kind of lucky that way actually. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is kind of a cultivation 
the it's weird you know i don't know if people know this but like everyone on this podcast was a friend first before they came on the podcast uh-huh. and with uh you bob we would be friends without the podcast that's true anyway we yeah. were friends way before the podcast but having the podcast and having these like one-on-one yeah. conversations with no distractions uh, is a to me a a double benefit yeah and a a part of that cultivation part of that investment of trust and routine and i guess it's like i want to be a part of your life there's a um lemonhead song that starts off with juliana hatfield saying that i just want to be a part of your life i just want to be part of your life it's really funny anyway <laughs> that just reminded me of that but uh yeah because I, I, you can have friends and you can hang out and go to dinner or something but it's another thing to like sit like we do on the podcast and intensely talk to each other yeah we're closer for it yeah and i um whether you were a good podcaster or not like i would have done it anyway you know what i mean yeah you would have done what anyway this i would have wanted you to be on the podcast because mm-hmm. of the benefit of having a, a cultivation uh, effect mm. because really? it, it, i didn't know that yeah oh because if we didn't have this we would hang out but maybe not as often Probably not as often and it wouldn't I don't think I would know or trust you or as much or feel um, secure in my attachment to you. Yeah. Um, with it, it enhances it, you know, quite. I mean, obviously, yeah. when we just meet up, that helps as well. But anyway, so th- that's that's how I love someone. That's how I yeah. experience it. I, and it, 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 I think the summary is it both comes from a need from inside of me, an upwelling Mm -hmm. of, I want to reach out. I can't help that feeling. I want that because, you know, we're attachment creatures. And so, but then there's this other pillar of intentional effort that we probably didn't need to have 50,000 years ago because we just lived with our tribe. But in today's isolated world, you have to, put effort into Mm -hmm. you know you have to say okay this this is my person in my inner circle you know uh show also asks what does love feel like to you bob oh it could feel like a lot of things i mean it can feel like sadness when uh there's some kind of loss um it can feel like warm joy um I think it can actually feel like fury sometimes. What do you mean? Well, I've noticed with couples, you, 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 we do not get that angry about people we don't love. Like nobody else is going to churn that that degree of intensity and passion. Right. Um, so it could. I, I guess what I mean to say is, love can feel like a lot of things. It can feel like jealousy. It can feel like envy. Well. Yeah, a loving relationship can involve that. But yeah. when you are being loved, how do you feel? When I am being loved, how do I feel? Oh, um, 
I feel self-conscious at times, a bit squeamish and anxious. Um, there's an urge to get away. But there's also um, uh, a feeling of warmth and appreciation and um, gratitude and good fortune. Can you name a moment where you felt loved and it was just pure goodness at, with that experience? Pure, what's pure goodness? Like your therapist or Colleen loving you and you don't have th- that fear. I suspect not, honestly. I can't think of a time. That is so sad to me. I'm so, I'm so sad for you that... Uh, because for oh, do me... Do you have that? No. No, I mean, do you have times when you feel the way you're describing? What? Uh, how'd you put it? Pure goodness? Yeah. When I feel loved... When someone loves me and I perceive it, whether I'm inventing it or not, <laughs> I feel safe and calm and accepted. And uh, the phrase that comes to mind is, I, I'm free to be myself. I don't have to oh, pretend. Nice. I don't have to be careful. I can just, I can be, even I can be bad and still be loved, you know, like... Oh, that's you're talking about um, unconditional. Yeah, I I feel um, relaxed. Mm-hmm. I feel invigorated. You know when I'm when I'm loved. Mm-hmm. I suppose there are times when well, I don't even know if that's true. If if I'm really perceiving it as love, I I don't think there's a there's an ounce of negativity in there. Right on. But for you, there's always some negativity in there, some fear of, of this means I'm, I might get hurt if I open myself up. Yeah. Yeah. When's the shoe going to drop? Um, what do I got to do to get this? Um, what's required of me and often an urge to retreat. I think it's all conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a tragedy. Because we've talked about similar issues with you before, but uh, to me, the feeling of being loved is so deserving to every human. Every Mm -hmm. human deserves to have moments where they're being loved and they can just... Because that's one of the major needs of our soul is to be accepted and loved and safe. And when you're even given, you know, love from your therapist or from Colleen and yeah, it's, you know, I'm just sad for you in that way. Thanks. What do you think about that? That you feel sad for me? The, I don't know. The, this, cause I think show has a similar kind of yeah, I think experience so. in others yeah. listening. Right. Uh, for them, what goes through your mind when you contemplate that? I feel sad about that. I certainly understand it. Um, last week in my personal counseling, um, this question came up. Now, my therapist is a therapist. And I'm a therapist, too. And I remember having this thought, 
when before I've had this thought not during a session but between sessions thinking that um the um his experience of me as a client is probably different than it would be you know someone else who did something else for a living um someone who wasn't a therapist and I wanted to ask him about that like what's it like to be you know to work with me and I was so I was so embarrassed because it was it became very clear to me that buried in underneath what you know maybe was sort of this sort of musing quasi intellectual thought thinking whatever was I want to be special mm. and so we ended up talking about that and it was really cool because he actually didn't say one way or the other and I'm glad he didn't because what I really wanted to do was learn about. Um, what was up with me and to, to say that I want to be special to him felt really vamp like a vampire, you know, like, um, I'm wanting to take something, um, um, like I'm a burden, like it would be a burden. Mm. A vampire is a parasite. Mm. I mean, a vampire is a parasite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, so my immediate, response was first off surprise uh because i didn't realize i mean it's sort of funny in retrospect i didn't realize that that's actually what i wanted was to know if i'm special to him um so we're going to get to talk about that but not for a couple weeks because he's out of town um but that's good of you to recognize that because uh, yeah. you were focusing on a cognitive question yeah rather than the fundamental need that was expressing itself through that question. Through the question. Yeah. The question, actually, I didn't understand the question until I said it out loud and then I couldn't even find language for it. And then I'm like, Oh, I know what this is. I want to be special to you. It was mortifying to, to say that. Um, um, so I'm really glad about it because as painful as it is, it's like, do you feel special to me? Do I make you feel special? Yeah. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> what? What? Yes. Um, I think uh, my bond with you is special, and it's unique in your life. Yeah, okay. But, but you know... And you're not a burden. Way. Oh, no. I, I think... Um, um, well, am I not a burden to you? Are you a vampire to me? Yeah, right. There's a habit of mind that is about being cautious and therefore not being um, burdensome. Uh -huh. So I don't know that I don't that I like step fully out on the ice as it were. I think I yeah I probably hold back um, some yeah because I do not wish to alienate you and there's a fear that I could or would you couldn't you wouldn't and you never have I can be pretty obnoxious I can be more obnoxious you know that I I, I know but I don't really mind that about you like, and I don't mind it about you well, the 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 thing that I'm thinking about and that any you call obnoxious, obnoxious thing well any obnoxious thing you're capable of you've already done to me that's probably true oh yeah yeah right there's the obnoxious things that I've done that you let me know later and I'm like uh, really okay. what did I let you know later that um, what's that we were in the cab and we were coming north on Aurora and you were talking about oh was it that wasn't obnoxious that was uh, that was on me. You know, uh, I always felt I always feel bad about it. Yeah. What, what was the thing I said? I said something critical. Well, so uh, this situates itself in a lot of conversations. But yeah, we were. This is early in our relationship. Yeah, and 
This would have been 24 years ago. And we were just out of school, I think, yeah. right? And I was insecure as and having imposter syndrome, I think, mm. more than you were. Because you came into graduate school with a some, bit of knowledge some, some already. Experience, yeah. And I, we were in the cab. We're heading north. We're by Canlis. And That's right. I, I was, you know, spouting about something that I didn't know about, essentially saying that people with severe mental illness are dangerous. Oh, right, right. Something along those lines. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't imagine myself being that stupid, but it was it was airing in that direction. And then you just, you know, put the uh, kibosh on that. And you said, well, that's actually a huge myth, and that's very, yeah. you know, a detrimental idea that... Um, is propagated by society and yeah. you need to stop. And the way that um, it, it felt to me was not good, but uh, it needed to be said. <laughs> well, truth, right. But uh, <clears throat> because at the time I'm struggling, as all novice therapists do, oh, so between, funny. oh, I'm a good therapist. I know what I'm doing. I'm right. educated. Right. I, 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 I'm worthy of the mantle of therapist. Yep. And I have... And then on the other side, vacillating to this other mode of, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm a complete hack. Mm -hmm. I'm a shade away from a lay person at this point. True. Uh, I say things that I th think I know the, the facts and I, I clearly don't. Yes. I, I'm just, I'm just winging it half the time. Oh yeah. And so that me, me moment, uh, I don't remember how I felt in the moment I might have been half unappreciative, but I think <laughs> I don't think long after it was it didn't take me long to say no, no. Like uh, people need to be correcting you more often, correct? You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. you need to be listening more. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah. But do you feel well? Okay. That ice that you could step out onto, there's a lot more range of safety. Yeah. In fact, I don't think there is any, uh, you know, distance from your safe spot on the ice that is unsafe. Like, I, I can't, there's nothing you're capable of doing that is unforgivable, you know, or burdensome to me. Mm -hmm. um, I do notice that when we interact, that uh, when you're, you kind of have a, uh, if anything, Bob, your effort to not be a burden is kind of a burden. Yeah, I could see it. <laughs> it's not awful, but I, I, I find myself going like, you know, uh, like, come on, Bob, you just be you. You know, you're good. Yeah. You know, just be yourself. You're fine. You're not going to do anything that's going to alienate me. <laughs> I mean, it's been 20... It's been 27 Ooh, six, years. Six, seven, yeah. So this fall, it'll be 27 years. If you have an alien hit me. Yeah, really, now, I know. I, mean, I got to try harder, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, I love you, and I take the good with the bad, and there's not much. Like with Birdo, it's easy for me to point out, like, oh, there's that thing, and there's that thing. With you, there's there's really not, you know, other than maybe the fact that you think of yourself as a burden, honestly. But I but I notice other moments where you don't, I, I feel like there are other moments where you yeah. act with me where you don't seem to be in that mode. Yeah, where, not self-conscious, just yeah. spontaneous flow with whatever it is. Yeah, like yeah. maybe at your house. Do you feel better when you're at your house? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I can't say that I, you know I'm always self conscious and always worried. Yeah. Um, lots of times I'm not. I'm just you know. Yeah. Whatevs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like part of part and we've never talked about this, but I think part of the wish that I had for us is that you didn't feel as much. There's there's something wrong with feeling like oh you know I hope I'm a good friend. But I feel like you take that too far with me sometimes. Like worry about being a good friend to you? Yeah. Yeah, I probably do um, fragilize our relationship. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I think that is what's happening. I don't find you particularly obnoxious, though. I mean, I think you think you're more obnoxious than I do. <laughs> I'm capable of obnoxious behavior. I know. I've been there. seen it. Yeah. Usually it's play, and um, you can get a little loud sometimes. Um, but I've always enjoyed that. Yeah. So, same. Yeah. Yeah. But I perceive myself as very obnoxious, but, you, but you're saying it's fine. You perceive yourself as being obnoxious, times, and I'm yeah. saying it's fine. Yeah. So. Isn't that funny? Well, but maybe the difference between you and me is um, you're not worried about it. I'm not saying I'm not worried, but I'm not going to let it get to my head. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not going to let it interfere with me being me, I guess, in most situations. Well, especially when I'm with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I suppose everybody edits and censors themselves to some degree when we're hanging out. Like, not always. I mean, sometimes you're just spontaneously whatever in the moment. and It's fine. But I suppose um, um, we do edit and censor to some degree. We we have to. Do you, I don't. I haven't noticed you. Well, how would I know? I don't notice you editing much, censoring much. You pretty much say what you think, as far as I know. Um. Yes and no. I mean, when I'm on the mic, I edit myself. But when it's just you and me in person, yeah, I don't edit. Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. I haven't noticed that you edit yourself here. I mean, I suppose there's things that you don't want to talk about because, you know, privacy and all, and that's cool. But that's different from self-consciousness. That's yeah, just about it, boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know if we're using the same definition of edit. I'm genuine yes. when I'm on the podcast. Right. But when I say to you, Bob, feel free to, you know, explore the ice... What do you think about that? I get a little nervous. Um, I, you know, honest God, I don't know that I would change much in my behavior, though. Yeah, like I am pretty at ease with you. Okay, um, more than more than. Well, I mean, you're my best friend, so yeah. Well, I think this, you know, like right now, I don't sense it, but I, occasionally, I think it's rare. I get this sense, like you want to be a good listener. Oh yeah, but you're not. And you're putting yourself on the back burner. Yeah, I do that. And yeah, I want you to be a great listener. Sure. I want to be a good listener to you. Yeah. But I don't want you to put yourself on the back burner. I want you to be in the room. Sort of reasonably balanced in that. Like, like there's sometimes it's contact with you. I don't, I don't yeah. want a robot listener. You're not, and you're not a robot listener, no. I, I, but I want, I don't want a scared listener. I guess that's actually what it comes down to. I want like a right. a relaxed, in the moment, enjoying himself friend listener, not a, oh shit, I better be a good listener. Right, yeah. I think that's a question of what guides, if fear and shame guide 
as opposed to joy, love, spontaneity. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, of course I do. Yeah. Like, what are the, what are those modes? Because I'm curious when I say that. What is that? What do you? What does that feel like when you're doing that? When you're in the scared listening mode. <laughs> I have a six dollar marker in a frame that you, <laughs> that that you owe me six bucks, and I framed it. Yeah. Um, when Penn State beat UW at that football game. Yeah, so just a little history on this whole thing. So yeah. 27 years ago when Bob and I first met, we had a core group of five-ish people yeah. that we would play poker with right. almost every night, seemingly. Yeah, we played a lot of poker. And we would buy in for $5. Yeah. And if we lost three and a half, it yeah. was this huge humiliation. Yeah. And honestly, I needed that money back then. I didn't have a lot of money. Oh, yeah, me neither. And we would play for seven hours yeah. until early in the morning. Right. And Fun. and these were all like really good, well-balanced poker players that could have fun, but, yeah. actually, you know, didn't need to be told it's your turn. Right. Knew how to play the games. Yeah. And at the end of the night, sometimes uh, you would have a marker. You'd say an IOU because you, you wanted, you were like, Okay, I I lost my five bucks, but I I want to buy in for another five bucks, right. or maybe even just a couple bucks. And so, or you have a really great hand, and you don't have any chips, right. and you got to throw in an IOU. Right. And um, over the months and years, people would have various IOUs in their wallet uh-huh. on their friends. Uh-huh. So we and so we would have all these. <laughs> And some of them were more humiliating than others <laughs> because we, it was like a trophy. Uh-huh. It was like a, a hunter coming back from, uh-huh. you know, a hunting trip and right. saying, look at my trophy. Look right. what I did to right. my friend. Right. I have a $11.25 marker. Right. right. And... Once you had the marker, the person with the marker could do whatever they wanted with it. Uh-huh. They could hold on to it. Yep. They could they could demand the money. Uh-huh. They could frame it uh-huh. and humiliate the other person. Give it away if they wanted. Right. They could, ex- and that was another thing. It's like you could you could bet with a marker. <laughs> you could buy in with the, these markers yep. were just like money. They were you know legal tender among uh-huh. us. They're like the the Bitcoin of of our group. And that's right. That's right. Yeah, Bitcoin. Right. And uh, in a bowl game. Was it? It wasn't the Rose Bowl, was it? Oh, it, it, I don't think Penn, so. Penn State, uh, Penn State wouldn't play in them. They're not Big Twelve. No, anyway. Big Ten. Big Ten and Pac Twelve is the Rose Bowl. Oh, okay. Maybe it was the Rose Bowl, but I don't think it, it was. was. A, it was a bowl game. It was a bowl game, but I don't think it was that bowl game. Okay, and it was Penn State and UW. Uh, uh, Bob went to Penn State. That's right. I went to UW yep. University of Washington Seattle, and right. they were. Uh, playing in a bowl game, and it was a close game. It was. I mean, Penn State was dominating pretty much the whole time, but it was it. It wasn't a complete blowout. It came down to the last play. It, UW could have won it in the last play. But I can't even remember that. I just remember I got a six dollar Kirk marker. Well, I remember because it was. Uh, yeah, and then when did I did I just bet six bucks or something? I think we ended up playing cards afterwards. Oh, okay. Anyway, so yeah. And then you framed it. I did. I put it in a frame. And I gave it away for a year because it was a quinchonomous. Oh. I gave it away as a quinchonomous. As a white white elephant gift. Yeah, yeah. And then the next year, somebody wrapped it up and I got it back. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's very nicely framed. Professionally done. <laughs> um, and uh, 
Let's see, why did we get on this? Oh, I'm careful about teasing you about it. Oh, do not be careful about I know, it's silly. Never be careful about teasing me about anything, yeah. honestly. I, I deserve to be teased, <laughs> one. And two, I come from a long line of, of teasers. <laughs> and two, you could never be malicious about teasing. Yeah. Anyway, so... You, uh, oh, so we were talking about the ways in which... Um, censoring and editing and how fear and shame are the they're sort of the the um, emotions that drive that as opposed to you know spontaneity fun love care yeah which is you know can include things like listening and caring and you know all that stuff um, um, or a person might listen out of fear or might have a mix a mix of feelings and you're saying you get a little bothered by um, my fear and shame interfering in our interactions with you. Yes. With you being you with you, it, the analogy I have is, and I don't expect this to change, Bob. I'm, I'm not, I, I know the trauma runs deep and the efforts you put into has helped, but this isn't going to change overnight, but I want to invite you oh, yeah. to one, be yourself because you deserve that. Thanks. And two, it feels better to be in a, you know, in a real yeah. relationship with someone that is there. Yeah. Uh, but the analogy is I, I had a friend who worked at a hospital and she had a, a coworker, a new, she was the experienced person. And then, um, well, you know, Nicole, you, you've met Nicole. Sure. And she works at UW medicine as a sonographer and oh, I didn't know that. yeah. Uh, she is a high risk pregnancy sonographer where, oh. so it's, you know, cause a lot of people consider sonography like, Oh, what's the gender? What's the sex, you know? And, and that's a part of it. But, um, for her department, they get the, the rough ones. They get the ones where, Maybe even a previous sonographer is like, oh, something's going on here. And then they send her, you know, them to. Mm. And so sonography for her half the time is tragic. There's, you know, miscarriages or deformations or yeah. genetic problems yeah. or, you know. Mm. And so anyway, she teaches uh, people. People are in the program and then they come to her department as an internship, essentially. Anyway, so she has a student and. Whenever she would be walking, because there's a lot, there's a lot of tight quarters that medical people work in. There's a lot of tall, tight hallways, and so you're always walking past people. And this guy, this new student, every time he saw her, he would like move way out of her way. He'd be like, "Oh, okay," you know. And he, you know, I, I, we're on a podcast, so I can't demonstrate yeah, it, but you're right. he would kind of flatten himself against the wall and allow her to go by. And right. he, and he, he would say like, I'm sorry, as if apologizing for his existence in the world, you yeah, know, apologize. Yeah. And also implying that she's a monster, right? Oh, uh -huh. Like to get out of someone's way in this huge gesture of like, I'm so sorry. I'm in your way. Right. Kind of implies you are terrified of someone for some reason that that they have done to you right and so when you are um uh 
putting yourself in the back burner, it makes me feel like, did I do something to make him feel right. like he wants to put himself in the back right, burner? Right, right. Which I know isn't true, but... But it's, it's an actual know. thought. And now, honestly, Bob, I'm worried about you feeling like you're a burden because you make me feel like I you're a burden to me. I'm worried that... No, we're fine. We're just talking about this. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I feel perfectly relaxed. Oh, okay. The way I'm sitting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go on. We got we got a lot more questions here. Right. Um, do you think that you love your spouses, your family, and your friends with different flavors of love? Absolutely. How so? Um. Well. Um, let's see. How do I, um, so you got spouses, family, friends, you said clients. Yeah. I'll lay down in traffic for Colleen, Mm. but I wouldn't do that for pretty much anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, um, if I have to choose like, no, I don't really want to talk about it that way. Let's find a different way. Um, yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. The feelings that we have for um, the different people in the different relationships that uh, the place that they occupy in our lives are, are going to be different. So, um, but I don't know. I don't know how to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably universally true though. Yeah. Do you love your clients? We've already talked about that, but yes. show wants to know. I do love my clients. Yeah. How, how I, does that, how I don't does... love all my clients. But I, I, I heard Marsha Linehan say this one. She's like, well, it's in your interest to like your client. Um, it, your work will go better. So I noticed that if I do not have a feeling of liking, it's, it's my problem. And it's a problem in empathy and a problem in understanding. But that doesn't happen very often. And when it does, and I can move from you know discomfort or irritation into care and love, it means I've... I've um, worked on my. I've worked out my countertransferential countertransferential thing that was blocking blocking me because everybody really makes sense. Well, there's like and then there's love. So you're you're talking about liking. Yeah. Well, if I don't like them, I'm not going to love them. Right. Um, um, How do you? What does it feel like to? to what's the differentiate? You know, say there's some. You said you don't love all your clients. So let's say you have a client that you don't like that you're trying to gain compassion for. You have another client that you like but don't love, and you have another client you love. What's the What's the differentiation there? Well, it could be countertransference is one factor, but also just time. Yeah, and exposure, like um, exposure to vulnerability. So when somebody's willing to um, let themselves be known more deeply or more and more deeply over time, my um, care for them grows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As you say that, that resonates with me too, that with time and particularly with their vulnerability, my love for them manifests and deepens. Yeah. And I suspect it works both ways Mm. that as love and care deepen, um, our people are, freer to be vulnerable with us do you think you need to be able to feel loved to love someone no yeah how so um well i struggle with that to feel loved and yet i know that i love many people and feel that very deeply and 
um, concretely. You know, I have two nephews who are young men now. They're in their 30s, and I knew them when they were five and eight. And what I, one of the things that I've noticed as they've grown up, they're really lovely, both of them just super lovely. But my sense of, as our relationship has grown from, you know, uncle to kid to more friends. Are you talking about actual nephews or are you talking about? Oh, no, su- no. These, these are, are pseudo nephews. Yeah, these are not blood related, but I've known them so long. They're, right. my, they're my kids. Yeah. Um, the reason why I said that is because I was curious as to whether or not you're talking about the people I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, you know them. And also, you said, I've known them since they were five and eight. And it's like, right. well, how did you not know them before that? Right. If they're your if blood. They're my blood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. They're not my actual nephews, um, but uh, they're family to me. Anyways, as they've become, um, you know, mature young men, and now, you know, I don't know where you... Edging you, on middle age. Yeah, getting getting closer. <laughs> that... Um, um, my, I'm more self-conscious around them than I was when they was kids. Oh, really? Yeah. When they was kids, I think, well, their mom said to me, Bob, they just think you're one of them, a kid. Cause I, I was very um, playful with them and enjoyed playing with them and, and would be spontaneous with them. Um, and as, uh, as they've grown up, I've become, I still love them deeply and, but I've become more self-conscious about, um, um, about how I am because they're adults and they have ideas about things and they are more apt to reject, I suppose, or we see them that way. Children we, we see as more pure and innocent and accepting and yeah. Yeah. I think actually, yes. Yeah. I think that's why. Yeah. Even though, you know, they've always let me be affectionate with them even when they were teenagers. Yeah. I mean, I have a relationship with those two as well. Obviously not, nearly as deep as you. I mean, I, I know them kind of, um, and I've seen them grow up and just, it's, as you talk about that, I mean, it's sort of side note. It's because I've, I've known them since they were like around 10 or something. Yeah. And (laughs) because this was in this poker group and we would, we wouldn't edit our behavior around them. No, we did not. And, their parents were okay with that? Yeah, I guess so. Because they didn't say anything. No, they didn't. And I always wondered back then, because we were not, you know, for people out there in podcast land, when Bob and I say obnoxious, we can be really obnoxious, particularly back then. NC-17. Yeah. And to have 10-year-olds uh, just there for the in the duration, mm-hmm. maybe even playing cards with us sometimes, mm-hmm. right? I remember thinking, well, I don't want to edit myself because this is my time to let loose with my friends mm-hmm. and I'm not going to hold back and Bob's doing it. Everyone else is doing mm-hmm. it. The parents don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is what we're doing. But I always wondered, are we screwing these people up? But now that they're, well, how old are they now? 33 and 36. Wow. Almost 41. I know. Um and Which kind of points to the fact that we weren't that much older than them, really. I mean, when you think yeah. of, when you think about like a a twenty six year old as I would have been, yeah. and a ten year old, yeah. it's like now that I'm fifty, I, right. I I don't think of them as being that different right. in age. But anyway, yeah, uh, they're both well adjusted uh, men. One of them has a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Um, oh yeah, both of them super lovely, yeah. really great, great young men, and um, 
I'm looking good sense of humor. To, yeah, yeah. Extroverted. Yes. I mean, yeah. at least able to, you know, hang. Yeah, right. Really um, warm-hearted. Um, I think they're more mature than I was when I was their age. <laughs> yeah. um, and now one of them has a has a daughter, so I guess I'm a granduncle. Yeah. Uh, a gruncle. And I'm looking forward to playing with her and corrupting her. She's 18 months now, and we went down, me and Colleen went down to see him. Um, they live down Portland Way, and uh, she's 18 months. And apparently, as a result of our weekend there, she's learned the word mine because she would pick something up, and I would look at it, and I'd go, that's mine. That's mine. Like a, She'd pick up a toy. Oh, that's mine. Mine, mine. And so she's walking around now saying, mine, mine, mine. <laughs> How do you differentiate, Bob, between love, like, fondness, care, etc.? Um, I suppose degrees of intensity. Okay. Um, you know, uh, Colleen and I were talking about this the other day, how with a, with a, with a partner, you love them. You know, you just love them. But you don't always like them. Mm. And a family member, you love them, but you don't always like them. When somebody, somebody said, uh, I, was, I don't know who it was, I was sitting with a couple or whatever, and one of them said, you know, some, asked a question about that, and the other one said, well, I like you. And I always thought, oh, it's so sweet. You actually like your partner. You love them. Yeah, but you like them. That's like you enjoy them. Mm. You find them interesting. There's bits about them that you admire or you appreciate or you just like being associated and around. Um, you know, liking. I I like liking. Liking is really cool. Um, I'd say um, love is more like, well, I don't always like you. But you're really important to me. I care about you, and you're around anyways. And so, um, love does not require liking. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't. I I agree with that about ninety three and a half percent. Fondness. I think that's just a degree of liking, loving. I, I maybe it's all like the same stuff. Maybe on a continuum. Right. Like there's irritation all the way up to rage, and they're all flavors of anger. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about love languages because show wants us to talk about our respective love languages. Is that that I don't I don't really subscribe to that model. Yeah, so let's talk about it. It's called, you know a book called The Five Love Languages, nineteen ninety five by Gary Chapman. Essentially, the model was completely just invented by him. He didn't do any research, mm-hmm. and he, it was just observational, anecdotal, yeah. which is fine, but yeah. has to be considered not necessarily universal because of just one person's ideas of how things work. But it sure does. It sure has permeated the culture. Right. Similar to the five stages of grief, which is uh, completely unscientific and and doesn't make any sense when you actually observe people. Interesting. Yeah. Did you know know that? that? No. Oh, yeah. So a little bit on that. You know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was a maybe a psychiatrist or psychologist working in a hospital Mm -hmm. with people who were terminally ill, who were dying. And so, and she observed that there were these phases that people would go through where they would be at first in denial of Mm -hmm. their terminal illness. Mm -hmm. Then they would get angry. Then they would bargain to like, please God, I'll do anything to have this terminal illness go away. I'll be a good Christian Mm -hmm. or whatever. And then they would get depressed and then they would accept, mm-hmm. um, not all the time, but there would be this progression. 
Now, science has demonstrated not everyone with terminal illness goes through that, but that mm-hmm. was a little, and at the time in the 60s, 70s-ish, the, there was an obsession for many decades in our uh, field of trying to develop universalities and sp- particularly stages, you know, the psychosexual stages, right. all that kind of stuff. And her model became very popular, and we didn't really have a, a rigorous research um, mentality back then as we started researching and then so not so that's not even grief that's just that's you could say it's grief of your life before you die right but it's not usually this five stages of grief is applied to people who are grieving a loss yeah and it just became translated over there and there's a lot of publications and she would give talks and you know other people would sort of bolster her ideas without actually checking with human beings and what they found when they actually started to do that research more rigorously in the 90s was it didn't pan out. <laughs> These uh, stages w- were far from universal. I mean, occasionally, someone might kind of go through that. But even then, they didn't discreetly go through these stages. And then as the criticisms came out, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and others would say, well, I didn't really mean them as a stage model, even though they're literally called the stages of grief. You know, I thought she did mean them that way. Yeah. It's clear uh, that she meant them that way, which I don't blame her because everyone was spouting. There's so many bogus stage theories in psychology that were developed uh, throughout the decades and and hers endured for whatever reason. Um, But there's a lot of trying to retract it. You know, if your entire career is based on this one idea and then research comes out and says your idea doesn't make any sense scientifically, you're going to try to salvage it somehow. You either you you can either say, well, I guess I was wrong, which is a career destroyer, or you can say, well, you're wrong and I have research to back me up, which a lot of people do, which is silly. Or they will say, "Well, I didn't really mean that." Let's let's right. let's let's reinvent. And the the fourth one really is to say, "Yeah, you know what? I didn't know as much as I do now, and I've learned a lot more. And right. now that there's more research, let me modify this a little bit more." Right. Um, which I find that some Bowenian people will do, and and relational psychoanalysts will do as well. Anyway, um, so. The one thing that they did find with human beings when it came to loss is that we vacillate between grieving and rebuilding. And sometimes you, you can vacillate within the same minute and sometimes you vacillate over the span of months. But we have this natural, and they don't describe it this way, but I do, that our body and psychologies, we have moments where we have a need to grieve and we have a need to rebuild. And rebuilding means you don't think about it. You don't, you don't feel the feelings. You maybe have joy. You try to move on with your life. You try to um, get your life in order, that kind of thing. Um, And when people are allowed and supported to vacillate between those two modes as they need to then people will go through the grief process with minimal complications and it will resolve quicker not that you don't ever have the grief but it, but the intense negative side of grief where you're crying into your pillow every night or um, running from the truth or something will be lessened somehow um well, the problem is, is that we have people and internalized messages that prevent us from vacillating naturally between those two states. Mm-hmm. And if you, for example, 
for some people, they might need to rebuild for a year where they don't grieve at all. They don't cry. I, a friend of mine, you know, Lita, mm-hmm. her sister died when we were in high school, mm. tragic car accident. And I was, you know, another person that was on the best friend of mine since preschool that I started the podcast with. I, I first went to you. You said no. Yeah. And then I went to Berto and he said yes, because he says yes to everything. And then I wanted another person. I went to Lita. It was another best friend of mine. And, and she said yes. Anyway, she... Her sister died, and uh, it was very—it was a huge deal. I mean, she—we were in high school when this happened. They were a very close family, and she didn't cry about it really, and until a year later. And I was with her when she cried about it a year later, mm-hmm. and she cried and cried and cried. And when we look back, she, for whatever reason, just couldn't—she couldn't handle it. it was too much, too overwhelming, and so mm-hmm. she. She needed to rebuild, which is fine. But then eventually started to grieve. And then she started to vacillate more rapidly after a year. And, but for Lita at the time, she would shame herself as she was rebuilding over that year. She said, what's wrong with me? I'm a callous robot. Um, I'm a terrible human being. I'm selfish or something. And that's when we have additional complications yeah. from grief anyway. So that was a sidebar. I was listening, but not out of fear or shame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So five love languages. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so we have gift giving quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation and acts of service. So again, the research shows that there's not much evidence to back up the claim because the claims are that when that people have natural or learned ways of expressing love. And when you have alignment of those two kinds of expressing love, then you have a better relationship. Hmm. So if you have two words of affirmation people, then you, you tend to have better outcomes. And actually the research doesn't support that. The other claim is that people have natural ways of wanting to express love, mm-hmm. which and will be consistent, like a personality type. Like, yeah. you know, I'm a Sagittarius or, right. you know, I'm a Enneagram seven or, you know, I'm a ENFJ or, you know, right. I'm a words of affirmation. And when you look at all these models, you actually it's it's not extremely reliable uh, across time. And, and uh, you know, people like love, you know, aside from psychopaths. But even then, I think they like love. Mm hmm. Um, so, uh, and maybe you have a habit of expressing love in a certain way at a given time, but, but that can change. It's not, it's not an enduring part of your personality. Um, but it is a useful model. I think sometimes Oh, just to think about, because, uh, I think sometimes if we don't pay attention to the way someone else is trying to love us, we might not receive it. I think that's the best thing we can get out of it. So with gift giving, you know, it's thoughtful gifts, frequent gifts. Um, like my dad is a gift giver. He will always have snacks on him. And <laughs> he always likes to, like, like he'll have Cheetos in his pocket. He'll just be like, hey, I have some Cheetos. <clears throat> hey, I have a steak. You and, want some steak? And he always knows what I want because, like, you know, I'm never going to say no to Cheetos. If, if we're at a park or something and he's got, like... Um, you know, a sparkling iced tea and, uh, you know, and, uh, some Cheetos huh? and, 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 and he, and he'll do it very subtly anyway. So, so, so 
your dad will show up with Cheetos because yeah. he's hanging out with you and he knows you like them. I mean, yes and no. I, I don't know if he's that targeted, but but it's part of that, right? Like, because my dad's kind of a subtle communicator of love, uh-huh. and if I did, if I, so on one hand, he'll he'll bring these snacks and he'll you know he'll offer them to me, and because it's sort of a Japanese thing too. Like o- older Japanese people are always trying to feed you all the time, mm-hmm. and always just constantly trying to feed you <laughs> like just like you need to be eating all if you're if you're not eating as a younger japanese person with older japanese people the older japanese people have failed their life mission anyway so it's really cool <laughs> so part of it is that kind of burden as a younger person right. of uh, like I, i'm okay i don't need it like so it can get kind of exhausting sometimes yeah, right. And if I only see it that way, then I only see it as like my dad just being um, exhausting with yeah. his cultural mandate to feed people. Right, right, right. But if right. I understand it more clearly, it's his way, his subtle way of communicating that he loves me. Right. Now, he might not think these Cheetos are for Kirk, but he's thinking these Cheetos are for someone in my family. Right. You know, when we get when we get to our destination... Right. Uh, at some point, I'm going to offer these Cheetos to people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I could just see him wearing a long trench coat with lots of pockets in it, and this has got his Cheetos pocket, and this one's his potato chips pocket. Well, he benefits by being a very slight uh, body frame. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He, we make fun of his legs. He has very, you know, chick- these sort of Japanese chicken legs, <laughs> um, and he, you know, has big uh, coats with big pockets. Anyway, so. Are you a gift giver at when you love people? Do you give gifts? No. Uh, you know, I'll give Colleen things, uh, but no, I can't say that that's my chief mode. I don't. I don't think I'm. Well, I mean, yes and no, but during the pandemic, you would bring scotch and put it on my front porch. I did that once. I think you did it more than once. But anyway, uh, I'm just maybe. saying. I'm just saying, like one a, of them a was minor part of like your... a birthday or something. I. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no, no, no. It was poker money. You were the only one that paid up, and nobody else did. So no I have one? Like, n- to, to date? N- not a single person, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm out 110 bucks. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, our, the, apparently, the stakes went up since uh, we was kids. Yeah. Um, but you were the only one paid up, and I couldn't have you be the only one paid up. I mean, you gave me $47. Yeah, I was the big loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't. Oh, not ultimately. No, but but uh, when you when you stopped. Well, coming, I lost the most money in the short amount you, of time. You, you did do that, yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't. I couldn't keep your money, so I did. I dropped a bottle of scotch on your front porch. Yeah, but that's. I guess that's sort of a gift. Yeah, but in general, I would agree. Yeah. For me, though, I yeah. am. Uh, I've turned into one. I didn't. Well, I've gone through phases of gift giving. Like there was a time when, at Christmas time. When I didn't have much money, you know, I'd have like $175 that I could spend on all the gifts for my family because I have a big family. Yeah. And I would, I would, there's this perfect Venn diagram of like, what is a thoughtful gift, but I can afford it. Right. And I would spend several days, and this is before online shopping in the 90s, I would go to, you know, several malls and just 
go from store to store and I kept a little notepad and I would write down, okay, I could buy this for this, you know, I right. had all these ideas and, and, but then other times I was just like, ah, I just, I don't want it. It's such a hassle. But lately I've been, I think with the pandemic, with online shopping, I've been giving uh, people more gifts because, particularly Stacy, because I just, I don't know, during the pandemic, it's, there was just nothing else to do at, at times other, you know, cause we didn't go out. And so, right. Yeah. So sometimes you're just like, well, maybe I'll just get her a little gift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I would say my love language is not hugely centered around gift giving. Mm-hmm. Number two, quality time. So this is like undivided attention. This could be a dinner conversation or therapy even, or playing with a child one-on-one. Yeah. Is that part of the way you, so one, is that how you love people? And yeah. two, is that how you like to be loved? It's definitely how I love people. Is that how I like to be loved? No, I wouldn't say that. How do you like to be loved? I don't. I thought we covered this. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, physical touch. Obviously, hugging, hand-holding, sex, and high fives with your friends. Uh, That's totally me. Yeah. Yeah. You love and... I am very affectionate. And you like to be loved that way. Um, no, I don't actually like being touched that much. Um, but I'm, I've always been affectionate. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say I have a good, good portion of the and going yeah, into quality yeah. you're, time. Yeah, you're you're affectionate. Yeah, yeah, and quality time as well. Yeah, yeah. My family, there's a lot of there was a lot of hugging and yeah. kissing and you know all that. My mom was. Did your mom's influence? Yeah, yeah. My dad too, though. Oh, right on, dad. Yeah, yeah. My family. I mean, we. My parents come from big families, and we were a big family. And right. when you come, when you're in big families. There's not a lot of boundaries, you know, and or opportunities for boundaries. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of opportunities for physical touch, you know. Yeah. We had a big bean bag that we would all lay in, like the entire family. Oh, and, how fun. And watch Happy Days, you know, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Number four, words of affirmation. So this is obviously I love you I love or you. compliments, yeah. statements of loyalty, yep. texting someone. Yep. Do you love and or like to be loved that way? Yes, both. Yes. Yeah. yeah, me too. Uh, number five, acts of service. So this is working hard to provide for the family, uh, mm-hmm. lubing someone's car for them, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Definitely. Um, but I'd say most of my acts of service are aimed at Colleen. But yeah, acts of service, that's a... Okay. Yeah. But I don't, I don't care to have services acted upon me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it depends on what it is, right? (laughs) Because if I, if I perceived it as an act of love, then I would receive it that way. Mm -hmm. But if it's just someone doing me a favor, I'm not necessarily thinking like, oh, you love me. Unless Mm -hmm. it was something kind of obvious, like, uh, you know, sometimes Stacy will make dinner for us. Oh, that's nice. And that's. You know, if I don't pay attention to it, and I always try to acknowledge it, you know, I always try to thank her when she does that. Right. So, um, but yeah, for me, gift giving is probably at the lowest. Sounds like it's pretty low for you too. Mm-hmm. Acts of service. I, you know, I, I don't know. When I think about it, acts of service are kind of a big deal to me too, because when 
I am doing a chore, for example, I'm I'm pretty much always thinking I'm kind of doing this for Stacy too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not just doing it for unless it is just something that I like to do, but there's a I spend a lot of time trying to optimize, you know, the house or whatever. And I I think a part of me is thinking I'm doing this for her. Oh. To make her life better somehow. Yeah. But I don't know if she always receives it that way. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes she's like, why did you do that? I don't like it, you know? And I'm like, uh. But yeah, definitely, I think, you know, if I had to pick, if you had to pick one, so you got gift giving, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, what would you choose? As the one that I'm most apt to do? The one that you want. To- the one that I want. Uh, gift giving, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time. Yeah, me too. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, all right. So those are shows questions. We have another couple emails that were along the lines of love. We have upper tier patron Sue from London, England. She says, "Does love last forever? I don't mean romantic love, and I'm not, and, and I'm not referring to family love. Uh, for example." What is, what is she referring to? For example, that deep love one feels for a childhood friend is always there for me, even though that friend has changed over the decades. I've felt love for some people I've only recently met. I don't want to marry them, live with them, or give them my last pri- my last piece of chocolate, <laughs> which I find <laughs> to be a funny phrase. But I do know that is that I want. To, but I do know that I want to be there for them. What do you think? Does love last forever? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I think everybody I love, I everybody I ever loved, I still love. Yeah, even if you hate them as well now. <laughs> you know, there are people yeah. that I loved in the past that I now kind of hate on yeah. a certain level, but I still have that yeah. affection or connection or something. Something. And I, you can call that what you will, but... Right. Anonymous upper tier patron, she writes, I'm 45 years old and have been with my husband for 20 years. We Mm -hmm. love each other. Mm -hmm. Long ago, I had a summer love with a man, but he broke up with me. We later resumed the friendship. Six months ago, he began to message me every day. So remember, he's been, she's been married for 20 years. We finally had an affair Mm -hmm. online and it was very intense. We decided it was best to end things, although I was not convinced I told my husband everything and he forgave me, Mm. but my husband called his wife and told her everything. Mm. I have not had any contact with him, the friend, since I often dream and think about, but I often dream and think about him. Mm -hmm. I am not sure if this is love as love is supposed to make you feel happy and calm. And with him, I always felt anxious, but also felt we had a very deep connection. I feel secure with my husband and I love him, but I don't feel this kind of connection with my husband. Why have I felt this way about this friend for so many years? Is this love or is it a fantasy? Is it real? Bob, what do you think? Yeah, of course it's love. They said something about love is supposed to be what? Love is supposed to make you happy and calm. No, this is not a fact. (laughs) Love does not love. You know, when you think about uh, basic human emotions, it, depending on who you ask, we're born with between six and ten. I, I tend to lead towards ten because I think curiosity is an emotion, right? Okay, but if you if you if you line them all up, there's anger, sadness, fear, guilt, shame, envy, jealousy, 
and then there's joy, love, and curiosity. That would be my my belief about the ten basic human emotions that you're born with. Two of them are positive: curiosity, though it doesn't always lead to a positive outcome, and joy. Joy is positive. The rest of them are negative, and I always think love is on the fence because love does not feel good. And and why would we expect it to? You know, like if Colleen is sick, I love her. I'm gonna sweat. I'm going to be anxious about it. So I don't buy this notion that um, love is supposed to always be warm and fuzzy and, you know, positive. It's not. Um, that's not been my experience. I don't. And it's clearly not the experience of the person who wrote in. They're, they're suffering because they love, not because they feel something different. Yeah. I think it just depends on how you define love. But I, I think Anonymous Aperture Patron what I hear you asking is what is the meaning of my, f- I have a feeling, I don't know what word to put to it with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I love my husband. I've been with him for 20 years, yeah. but with this other guy, I feel this infatuation. I feel a connection, a, a deeper conversational connection with this person. And that's what sucked me into having this, this online affair, maybe a, a kind of a excited sexual attraction mm-hmm. or something. And what is it? Is it love or is it a fantasy? Well, you know, there's no way to operationalize that, the answer to that question. There's no way to know. There's no way to test, you know, is it love? Is it fantasy? It depends on your definition of love and sure. fantasy. I think what often people are wondering about is, should I be with this other person? You know, it, because we have this value in mainstream American society that you should be with the person you love the most. Not everyone feels that way around the earth, but we have this idea that if you're with, you know, you're with your spouse and right. you love them right. on a, on a scale from one to 10, like at eight and you meet someone else and you're like, I love this person at 10. Yeah. Most mainstream Americans would say, well, you should probably be with the person you love as a 10. Yeah. But that, you know, and you know, it's a value statement and it's also kind of a, a, a guess as to what will it be like in the long term, because it's a chance that, yeah, you love this person as a 10 now, but say you get divorced, you're with that person and quickly, I mean, for some people within a day of breaking up with someone, their feelings will change for the other person. Cause some of your feelings might be related to issues that are going on in your marriage. Yeah. You know, a 20 year long marriage can be stagnant. It can be, tense sometimes it can be kind of cold and someone comes along that pays attention to you that you feel a sexual excitement around we seemingly as humans on average have a um, a turn on for novelty and so when we meet someone that is new to us and we're attracted to them there's an intensity there that seems to uh, you know, we feel, mm-hmm. and that galvanizes all of our brain cells toward that human being, like yeah. like cocaine. You know, we want to see them. Everything they right. say is intelligent and funny and interesting, and right. you, you just want to be with them. And a new relationship energy is the polyamorous. We'll we'll call it, mm-hmm. and mm. or like NRE as, the, as they say, because <laughs> you know, for polyamory people, they're just like. You're experiencing new relationships, you know, because you'll be in a marriage and then you're polyamorous and you're with someone else. And all of a sudden you, you just fall that you have that what they call NRE and they categorize it that way right and say 
yeah, it's good. You're, you know, feel it, but sure. don't make any decisions based on that feeling because yeah. it won't last It all. It's, it's, it's literally called new relationship energy for a reason because mm-hmm. it's a new relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful feeling, but you know, it, it's probably not going to, it, it won't last. I can almost be uh, sure of that. Uh, you can certainly have an intense feeling beyond, but it's anyway. So anonymous up to your patron. Is that what you're going through? I don't know. You know, that that's the exploration for the ages, really. So there's a lot of people who explore that. And it's just a matter of of what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Maybe polyamory is you know, an option. But uh but yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know what, what more to say about that, honestly. I don't know if a twenty year marriage could compete with the intensity of an online exchange. Right. Especially with somebody you have history and nostalgia with. Right. The other thing I'll say is uh, I was actually hanging out with Rebecca, another close friend of mine who is another co-host on this podcast. And she was saying that marriages should only, she put a specific number on it. I think she said 40% of your needs should be met through your marriage. Oh. Emotional relationship needs. Hmm. And uh, I don't know what that exactly yeah, means, but right. I... I think the point, though, is most of your relationship needs need to be met outside of your marriage, mm. you know, or maybe it's a pushing of just like, look, if you're getting if you're trying to get all of your emotional needs, all your, mm-hmm. you know, love needs right. that through one person, it's probably not going to work out very well. Yeah. And so with anonymous up to your patron, it's like, I love my husband. We have a we have love for each other. Yeah. I want to be with them yeah. with him. But with this other person, we have this deep connection. Maybe that's that's conversational needs that your husband isn't meeting for you. Right. So maybe not this past friend, because it sounds like that's a kind of a minefield, potentially. But cultivating relationships outside of your marriage that involve those other needs being met. Right. Anyway, final word on love, Bob. What do you think? It's a four-letter word. I think that's a Tom Petty line. <laughs> And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.